Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. My name is Stephanie, and I am a recovered alcoholic on staff at the Magdalene House. Each week, I have the pleasure of conducting a live interview with an alcoholic woman in recovery for the participants who are currently in our Next Step program. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Today, um, as our guest, we have Elizabeth. Hi, ladies. Hi. And if you have not met Elizabeth yet, I encourage you to do so. She's the newest social detox coordinator. I'm sure some of you even know her mom, who is a Next Step graduate. And so I'm very excited to have her on. I know just from the, um, from listening to her meeting that she did and just the conversation I had with her, I know that she definitely has solid solution to share and she definitely has worked and does work this program. So Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to join us. And if you can just start with a little bit of background about yourself, what led you to getting to getting sober? Hi, ladies. Thank you for having me. My name is Elizabeth. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is, I don't really know where to look. My sobriety date is July 13th of 2017. I'm originally from Dallas. I got sober at 27, so I'm 31 now. I struggled with alcoholism from the first time I drank. I drank alcoholically. There really, I couldn't really see an issue with it because then I was like still partying. Like I always stopped at the party. Um, I went through six treatment centers, um, multiple jail sentences, detoxes, um, psych wards, hospitals, everything. Um, until I got sober. And I got sober in Louisiana. I spent about 10 years in Colorado, and then I spent two years in Louisiana, and that's where I got sober. Um, And then I moved back to Dallas right before COVID. So this whole year has been, just like for everyone, it's been super interesting, and it's really like shed a new light on my sobriety and what that entails and the way that that's practiced. But I'm, I just started at Maggie's and I absolutely love being there. It's like the most godly centered place I've ever been. And I just feel so blessed to be there and to be able to do something like this with y'all. It's a true gift. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad that you're here. I don't know what my first question wants to be. Okay. Six treatment centers, jails, detoxes. So it sounds like it took you a little bit to get sober. Was there ever a time where you thought like that you just, that you were hopeless, that this just couldn't happen for you? There was. Every treatment center that I went to told me to do the same thing. And until it was work one, two, and three while in treatment, get out, go to sober living, get a sponsor, work the steps. It was like the same little concrete details that they told me to do. But until I reached that point of desperation to be willing to do those things, like, yeah, I felt completely hopeless. And like, all I wanted was, like, I remember the first treatment center I went to, I told my dad, all I need to do is 
like do a bunch of word searches and like keep myself busy and I'll be fine. You know, like that was my solution at that point was just like, stay busy. Like nothing internally needs to change. Like I just need to change my lifestyle and just like do different things. So I really like most of my drinking career and treatment center things were like just to get out of consequences and just to like get a little bit of like people off my back and stuff like that. And then the last three treatment centers I went to, like I really wanted to be sober, but that's all I wanted. Like I just wanted sobriety. And I I just kind of like expected to get the same results. And I remember like this, like the final treatment center that I went to, um, I was in like a full on psychosis like when I got to treatment for two weeks, I was just like in full flight from reality, like had no idea what was going on. And my first thought, like, and someone had explained to me, like the hopeless feature of alcoholism is that no human power is going to relieve my alcoholism. Like it has to come from something greater than myself and, and no human power is going to do that. And I remember like my first conscious thought, I was sitting on this bench outside of this treatment center and I just like kept thinking like there's a part in the book that says we feel that a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough and at that point i like had this i mean i had a lot of god moments while i was in treatment but at that moment i was like that's all i've done and i've gotten the same results like i've never been willing to like change anything internally with the help of a god of my understanding and at that point like something kind of flipped and I felt like this might actually work for me, you know, if I'm willing to put in the effort. And at that point it was. And and from that moment on, everything that all these little like seeds that these treatment centers had planted and everything everyone had told me like suddenly became my reality. And like that willingness started to grow. And like at that point, like I did feel like there was hope for me because I saw these people around me that sounded like they drank the way that I did and they were laughing and they were happy and they were, they were free, you know, and like the prison of my mind slowly started to open up. And at that point, I think the hopeless feeling that I felt was suddenly like dissipated and replaced with like everything. I mean, everything hopeful that these women had shared with me. Does anybody have any questions? Okay. All right. So you got sober in Louisiana. Do you still have the same sponsor that you had? I do. She's okay. amazing. Um, she loves me and she's so hard on me. And she's, it's, it's really weird. Like she had attempted to sponsor me like way back in the day. And I just really, I was waiting to go back to jail in Dallas and then I was going to go back to Colorado. And that's what I ultimately ended up doing. But I was in treatment and this woman was doing our big book study. And I like in my like disastrous state was like, Are, is your name Jennifer? And like, I knew who she was, you know? And um, I, I feel like that was like a huge, a huge gift from God at that point. Cause this girl had planted so many seeds that she had no idea she had. And she is a hopeless alcoholic, was a hopeless alcoholic, like bottom of the barrel drunk and I knew that she was going to be able to help me and she actually wasn't my sponsor um, when I first got out of treatment but 
because there was like rules about that and everything. Um, and then the sponsor that I had that I originally worked the steps with ended up going back out. And at that point, I came to this girl and I was like, will you please help me? And she did. And she's she's amazing. She is like everything that I want to be when I grew up, even though she's like five years older than me. But she's just incredible. So I, uh, one of the things that I tell the women a lot in here is that you never know who you're helping. And you kind of just solidified that because you said that she had planted all of these seeds in you and that she didn't even know. Can you elaborate on that? Like how the seeds were planted and what she did? Oh my gosh. I mean, our, our situations in life, like she was facing the rest of, and she still is like facing the rest of her life in prison if she doesn't work this program and stay sober. And she just, it's, I don't even know what to say about her. Like she is a woman that has gone through so much adversity in sobriety and she's constantly helped people. And she's, you know, she, she got a master's degree when she got sober and she just did all of these things that like, when I first met her, she was like maybe a year sober or so. And like, she was trying the best she could with her little ankle monitor on and like just going through the motions and helping women from the beginning. And like, she's just someone who's so authentically herself. And when I look at her and I look at the way that she's like maintained her identity, but just like added on so much more positivity, like she would do anything for any woman. And that specifically, like she was the first person who loved me enough to tell me about myself and like whether or not I was willing to listen at that point. Like, I always remembered that. Like, this woman, we've been through, like, so many of the same things. And, like, not necessarily, like, circumstance-wise. But when I talked to her, like, I was able to see that all the feelings were exactly the same. And that she had gone through, you know, a 100 treatment centers. And, and we had this moment where, like, I just felt, like, overwhelmed with gratitude because she said she got sober at the same treatment center I went to. And um, I remember her saying, like, she just was in the detox hall and she looked around and she was looking at these same four concrete walls and she realized that 10 years of her life had gone by and this is all she had done, you know. And I remember thinking that and then thinking, like, look at what this girl has accomplished in her sobriety. And then, like... There, she's a twin too, um, and her twin is still out there, like getting it how he lives, you know. And it's just like she really taught me that, like with my mom and and other people in my life who have not been able to get sober. Like, uh, well, my mom is sober now, but like during that time between years one and two, it was like a really lonely time for me. And she was able to like help me get closer to God and get closer to the women in the program. Um, and just like work that much harder and to be able to like, she, she Allen on me. She, and one thing that I love about her is like, I went through a treatment center three times. That was just eight hours of the big book. So that to me, like not really wanting to get sober, like I had all the answers, you know, and she was the one that's like, okay, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to work the steps through the 12 and 12, or we're going to like, she kind of like got me out of my comfort zone. And she was able to like, like get into my soul without me like being able to just like ramble off what she wanted to hear. Cause that's all I'd done with anyone else was like, get coffee, like 
talk a little bit, you know, and go to a few meetings, like act like I was there, but she really like pulled it out of me and I trusted her. And that was like the huge thing because I knew that she had gone to the same depths of desperation that I had experienced. Um, so it was really just like that first trust of another human being. And she's like, she's had like a really rough go. She's 10 years sober and she, um, she's a complete teetotaler too, which is like something that I needed in my life. But she, she had cancer this last year and she's 36 and she had breast cancer and she's done nothing but like persevere and just made herself available to women because that's what she's, that's what's kept her sober and given her the life that she has now. And she's just, I just love her. Like, I know that she was put in my life directly by God to like put me in check, you know? That's so amazing. I do remember, uh, does anybody have a question? I do remember listening to your meeting and you talking about your fist up with your sponsor and getting your character defects. And it did sound definitely like she was not afraid to tell you the truth. No. Uh, So can you talk about your fist up experience? We'll just start with that, with your fist up experience. Yeah. So the first fist up that I did, this was actually with another sponsor, but, um, the one that I had originally when I got out of treatment, but we did this fist up. And when we got to the end, she had her little notebook and everything. And, and I was just kind of like checking off, you know, what I needed to do. And like, I'm like, you know, at the end of it, I'm like, okay, well time for my hour of power, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, hold up. She said she had her little list out and she was like, so let's talk about you. And I was like, we just talked about me. And she said, you're vengeful, you're spiteful, you're manipulative, you're a victim. Um, And that was a huge thing for me was like realizing that victims don't recover. Victims don't recover like over and over because I played that little role for so long. But she said, you're vengeful, you're spiteful, you're manipulative, um, you're a victim, you're full of self-pity, you use men, you manipulate, you're dishonest as hell. And I kind of like looked around and after she told me all these things and I like looked around like thinking there might be like someone else in the room, you know, cause she could not be talking about like poor me who had experienced like all of these things, you know, which was like such a lie. Um, and at that point, like I really felt like through like a little bit of introspection, I was able to get like an objective view of myself and like really look and be like this that is exactly who i am like there is no like the delusions of grandeur that like i was that things were like that it really wasn't that bad you know like everything's fine everything's going fine blah 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 this is just like something that i need to go through it was like no this is who and what you are and like when i was able to like step back outside of myself when someone else recognized that in me I was like yeah you're completely right and like at that point those character defects for me like became objectionable and it was like how what can I do what's in my power to change these things and realizing that none of that was in my power like that those those shortcomings were going to have to come from God and so it was like these like very minimal prayers like at the beginning, I would get on my knees and be like, okay, like, and I talk to God, like, he's like my homeboy, you know, it's not like this, like thou art like, cause that's how I prayed in the, in the past was just like the 911 God and all of that. I was like, God, please 
help me be willing to be more honest, you know, and just like those little character defects and like did not get in a relationship because I was vengeful and spiteful and I used men. And that was like a huge thing for me and not just men, but people, my family, my friends, my, my employer, all of that. And so it was like really asking God to remove those things, but I can't just take those things away. Like they have to be replaced with more honesty, more willingness, more like sincerity, like insincerity was a huge one for me. Like everything was just ingenuine and that's how I got the things that I wanted. You know, all of that had to change and it had to be like a complete 180 in how I presented myself and the things that, that I like genuinely wanted for, for myself and for others. It was like stepping outside of myself and, and trying to, to shift the way that my behavior was. So yeah, that was like, I just remember being like so mad. And at the time I was in a relationship and that ended up terrible from the beginning until the end. And she said to me, she was like, if it's in God's will, y'all will be together. And that's all she kept saying. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, like, what are you talking about? Like, of course it's in God's will. This person drove me to treatment, you know? And then I look back on it now and that person is still like in and out of treatment centers and like really, really struggling. And God's just like completely opened my eyes to like what my relationship ideals are. Um, And that I would much rather in that moment, it was like, okay, I would rather be, and this is like with every relationship in my life, like not just like with men, but it's like, I'd rather be healthy alone than sick with someone else, you know, unless I'm like trying to be of service to that person, it's, it's not going to work. I love that. Thank you. Anybody have a question? Okay, so the relationship that you were in whenever you first got here, was that like a long-term relationship? Yeah, it was, we had, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah. Was the breakup hard? It really ultimately ended up like he, and I don't want to like take his inventory while I say this, but he just um, wouldn't stay, couldn't stay sober. So at what point did you know that it was time to let go of that relationship? And what would you tell someone who's, who's going through a, a breakup or whatever the case may be in early sobriety or going through this difficult time where it's wondering what, what to do? When did you know to let go of that relationship? When I was getting results from God that were way bigger than what I thought I wanted. And then, and ultimately like everything I thought I wanted completely shifted. Like life just started to, to happen in a way where I was like, I, I, it was just like building that relationship with God and that ultimate trust where it was like, we just started drifting apart and like where it ultimately, I don't even know how to like go into this. He just wouldn't stay sober. And that's like, all I want to say about it is, um, it just ended really, really badly. So I would just say like to anyone that's struggling with that, that like trying to make something work, it was like trusting God and letting go like had to happen in, in a lot of areas of my life. And the more that I practiced that and the more diligent I was with like asking God to, to keep me on this path, it's like slowly those things kind of fizzled out. Awesome. So do you have a saying in sound now? What? 
Do you have a sane and sound? Yeah. So yeah. Um, what does your sane and sound look like? Oh my gosh. It's basically like someone who can inspire me to be a better person. And there's like so many details that go into that, but just someone who, I mean, first and foremost respects my program because without that, it's, it's not going to happen. Not to say that I would like only date an alcoholic. You know, I think that things can work and I've seen like beautiful relationships that aren't that, um, but respect and honesty and basically just someone who like knows who I am and, and is like willing to support that and like not our lives can intermingle, but essentially just someone who can like constantly inspire me just to be like a nice human being. Um, Cause that's huge. I was just like so evil for so long. And it was kind of like that, like Bonnie and Clyde style, like ride or die in the wrong way. And that's just so wrong. Like if we're not like growing closer to like what our purpose is on this earth, then like, what's the point? Thank you. One of the things that we have talked about on the phone, first, let me ask, does anybody not know what a sane and sound is? Okay. Can you um, say, can you elaborate on what a sane and sound is? Me? Yeah. Yeah. So a sane and sound ideal for me was like writing out and believing like everything that God wants for me in a partner. Mm -hmm. And when I took a look at that, I realized that I had just been like going like the exact wrong route. And like, I was still, I don't know. It was just like trying to fit like a square cube inside of a circle box, like just trying to like manipulate any situation. And that was like super difficult for me because like as human beings, we have like these three driving forces, like the, the characteristics that make up self and it's like the social, the sex and the security instinct. And with my instincts, it was like, you take away my drugs and alcohol and like my first go-to that's going to like satisfy all of those things is the sex ideal. I mean, not the ideal, but like my sex instinct, like that's going to give me all the ease and comfort that I need because it's like, I have no substance. So let me just manipulate this man and he's going to give me everything that the drugs and the alcohol were giving me. So when I wrote all those things out, I realized that like everything was just like starting to shift for me. Like when I was able to, to work this program and like clear away all of the debris of what I had created, it was like, and I, and I was able to like believe in myself and see what I could like offer, like pack into the stream of life. Like I wanted someone that could do the same thing, not someone who was going to like be a thief of joy, you know, and, and, um, that I could just like go along life, like hurting people. And, and that was another thing is like, I, I just like went through so many years harming people and that had to stop. So what do you do whenever character defects come up today and what character defects do you see most often come up for you today? Oh, hmm. I mean, the book tells me that when these things crop up, I ask God immediately to remove them. But like I do an inventory at night and usually like at the beginning I was writing out like 
I was doing like spot check, like all the time, like trying to like graduate at the top of AA, you know, and like get all these things down perfectly. And now it's like when as that awareness with God grows and like, as he's able to like point things out to me, like it comes a lot more naturally. Um, but for me now it's like procrastination. That's a huge one. It's kind of like, I don't know. There's like instant gratification is something that I struggle with that. And like, at times, like I still manipulate, I see that a lot, not like a lot, a lot, but in my, in myself, I see like trying to get the easy way out sometimes. Um, And that includes like, it's really procrastination, like with my schoolwork, with um, just doing things done. It's like, I'll get gas in the morning, you know, things like that. When it's really like, I have the ability to take care of business now and get things done. So that, and then like a lot with like, I, I don't know. I just, I just feel myself like when I feel myself slipping into old behaviors it's like that's immediately a terrible sign and i need to like ask god to direct my thinking and help and get me out of myself and like put someone in my path that i can help but even that's procrastination because like i need to be actively going out and like trying to find someone to help so that's probably the biggest one so one of the things that we talked about on the phone was amends and you told me that that's whenever you really started seeing the power of God work in your life. And two things I want to hit on the amends in general, if you have any amends stories that you want to share or anything about the amends process, cause it's like a, it was a running joke and uh, next up that I love amends stories. But then the other thing that I really want you to touch on too is financial amends because it does say in the book that if we're afraid to face our creditors, we're quite sure to drink. And I know that you pay financial amends because <laughs> um, that's one of the stories that you told about. And I think that's super important to hit on as well, that it's also paying back the money. So whatever you want to say, whatever you want to share, I know that it'll be very helpful. So the first, the first time I was able to like to see God working in my life and to like realize that there was and I know this sounds like this sounds so strange like when I think about it now like the inability to see like what God was doing for me at that time but the first time I was able to experience that like like consciously was um, I was making a financial amends and I had gone and gotten like the little money order at Brookshire's and it was, it was from a medical bill because I had like so many trips to the hospital. Like I experienced um, detox seizures and, um, and there was this, this was actually specifically for a one where um, I had had a seizure, gone to the hospital. I was in ICU on life support and, um, my blood alcohol was a 0.617. Like I should not have lived through that experience. And I, like when I got out of that, out of that, like they pulled the tube out of my throat and my first thought was like, yeah, like, okay, now unplug everything else. Cause like I need to drink. Um, and so to go from that point and then I, I, 
I was paying this financial amends for this medical bill. And, and that's one thing that my sponsor like really instilled in me was the financial amends because she had a lot of similar uh, stories about that. And so I went to the little Brookshire's grocery store and I got my little money order and I put it in the envelope and everything was written out and I sealed it. And at that point, like I, I just out loud was like, thank you, God. And like i felt like a crazy person just sitting in my car and like but that moment was just like i could really see like the change in my thinking of like ex experiencing gratitude um and i had another experience with gratitude that seems like this is kind of getting off subject but i remember it was like my i guess it was like my 28th no my 29th birthday and i lived in this like unsatisfied like that was a huge character defect for me was dissatisfaction. Like when I was in treatment, they constantly like wrote, when we would like point out each other's character defects or whatever, they were like, Elizabeth, you're always dissatisfied. Like I always am like underwhelmed, you know, because it was all about like, nothing's ever gonna be enough. But there was a, my parents came, my parents aren't together, but my parents came to Louisiana um, and it was for my birthday. And they brought me like this little cake and, everything and I remember like having this feeling of like just being overwhelmed with like love and like actually experiencing gratitude for the first time that like these people love me enough to like make this little trip and like be with me um and I had never experienced that before like it was always like disappointment and like like wanting people to do more for me like I had some like like sense of entitlement to where like I deserved everything, you know, and that was like such a delusion. So just like those experience of like God placing serenity in my heart and gratitude and like, joy and like genuine happiness um, and concern and compassion for other people. Like those were the times that like I really felt God's love and God's presence like in my heart and in my mind and like then manifesting like in the way that I felt. But another amends was, there's like two that when I think about, I just think like, like I know God was there and that God was like, like making all of this happen. Um, and I was just like a bystander kind of going through the motions. But the first was with my mother. Um, and I was visiting Dallas and I was driving over to her house and I knew I was going to make this amends. And I was like, God, please, like, if there's anything that I'm leaving out, like, can you please help me to, like, elaborate on this and, like, be able to express this to her? And I had realized um, that one of the times I had harmed her the most, like, it had nothing to do with drinking. Like, it was a complete sober moment. Uh, it was actually, like, right before I went back out. And when I went back out and then got got sober, it was, like, a two-week thing. So in that two-week thing, I realized that um, the greatest amends, like top of the list, was something that I had done stone cold sober. Um, and that helped me to like realize that, you know, like sobriety is not enough. Like it has to be an entire personality change. Um, and when I was able to make that amends to her, it just was like so much more significant to her that that was acknowledged. And I was able to like through God's words, like that I was able to say to her, it was like, I was able to validate her in that moment. And I think she and I both like really experienced that in that time. And, and the same with her to me, like, 
when she made her amends to me, it was just like, I couldn't help, but like, I just broke down and I couldn't even really say anything, you know, because it was like, just this like true authentic feeling of emotion. Um, and I think that that went like both ways for both of us. And then like, there's, there's other little things that God made possible for me. Um, my grandmother is 89 years old and, um, when her husband passed, he was like the staple of our family. Um, and I was deep in my alcoholism at that point. And I, w I uh, was drunk at the funeral. I was in the trunk of the car, like drinking on the way there and like, just like total insanity. But it was like part of my normal life was just like being obliterated and in everything that happened. Um, and so like part of my amends to her was um, she didn't have to go to church anymore. Like we lived like 20 miles away from each other. And so her, like she went to church every Sunday with my grandfather. That was like their thing. And so like part of like a living amends was being able to sit with her and like her not have to go to church alone, you know, and, and whether or not that was like, you know, it's a, a Southern Methodist church and like God really spoke to me there. Like I didn't expect that. And it was just like being able to be like a part of her life in that way and like give her comfort in that way was like, a true way to amend that relationship and she and I have a beautiful relationship now and it's you know God was there through all of that you know yeah I love that so much it's a very beautiful story okay so what yeah go ahead Crystal. um hi I'm Crystal I hi, Crystal. So you, you mentioned about you know having um being dissatisfied is one of your character defects. And I find I, I struggle with that also. Do you ever feel, and, and Chloe kind of talked about this yesterday, confusing serenity with boredom or vice versa? And um, how do you deal with that? Oh, that's a really good question. So no, I, I actually don't. Like serenity with boredom is like, I am God is always with me. And like, I experience that all the time. And it's like, I, I've experienced the boredom and then I've experienced like the loving and powerful hand of God. Like it says that, that what seemed at first a flimsy read has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. And so like when I sit with myself, I am at perfect peace and ease. Like there is, I don't experience boredom anymore. You know what I mean? Like I'm so, there's always something that's happening that's like I'm just I'm more overwhelmed with like the gratitude and like just being okay at any point in time like life can be like swirling around me and it's it's fine like everything's fine you know and the I don't I just don't really I've experienced boredom and then I've experienced serenity and they are two completely different things for me like I don't I don't know how to it's these things like they're difficult to express because it's all about like experience them, experiencing them and like living in that. Thank you. I want to, uh, thank you, Crystal. I want to kind of piggyback off of what Crystal was saying. So I know that coming to believe for you was a process. Yeah. Uh, but it seems today that like your relationship with God is so strong. How did that how did that process, how did that happen for you? And 
what do you do to continue to perfect and enlarge today? So the coming to believe was definitely a process. I was so like enamored by self that like it just, that's all I could see was I could not see outside of myself. Um, And then God, like my relationship with God is super, it's strange because um, I don't want to like go into too many like drunkalogue stories about how that happened. But when I was in treatment for the sixth time, like I told y'all, I was in a full on psychosis, like seeing things, hearing things that weren't really there and just like had no, I, I mean, the lady that ended up being my office mate, uh, when I ended up doing all the billing for this treatment center, she was hiding me under the med cart. And I was just like seeing these things that weren't there. But in that moment, like my God has a sense of humor. Like he basically came to me like divine intervention and these visuals that I was seeing, it was like, at that point, like not only had um, my body betrayed me when it came to alcohol, but like my mind was going as well. And I was like literally losing my mind. And at that point, like God revealed himself to me when I could not formulate a conscious thought. Um, And that's, (laughs) I know that sounds like so strange, but that's how it happened for me. And at that point I was like, okay, you you're real, you know, like, cause I was a full on like atheist when I came into the program, I believed in science. I believed in like tangibility. And, um, and at that point it was like, I had that moment where a, I believed in God and B I knew that he was going to be the only thing that saved me from myself. Um, and so from that point on, like, as I was able to like come back to reality I put effort into that relationship. And that was when like God continuously started to reveal himself to me. Like I would go in my little war room, which was my uh, closet and treatment. And I prayed like, you know, they say it's so cliche, but it's so true. Like that alcoholic, most powerful prayer of like, if, if you're there, like, please help me. Cause I'm out of options. And, and it, I did the things that, my sponsor and that uh, everyone told me to do, which was like, pray for strength and direction, pray for strength and direction. Like, and my, my sponsor for the first like nine months of my sobriety constantly told me God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. Cause all of these like patterns of my thinking were control, fear, control, fear, control, fear, which are the complete opposite of trusting God and allowing him to, to run the show. So it was, it was a lot of like very simple prayers. And now like, I mean, I talk to God in my head, like I talk to God while I'm driving and it was like with any relationship I had to like, I mean, I don't just like meet someone and then they're your best friend. You know, it was all about like putting in the effort to talk to God and like get to know God and like, and and vice versa. And to ask like, I'm not like a Bible person, but it, um, part of the Bible, it says something along the lines, I'll probably get this wrong, but it says, come to me in all things. And that's what I did. And realizing like someone had told me like, when you're like, when I was drinking and everything, um, it was like, did you ever listen to that little voice that was like, don't do that. Don't do that. 
uh, that's a bad idea and then do it anyways. And I'm like, yeah, that's my conscience. No, my conscience was the one that was like, do it, do, you know, and then I ended up doing it. So like, I looked at like, look, listening to that little voice because the fundamental idea of God is within every man, woman, and child. And I realized that it was me that was like straying. So when I like tried to keep close to him and perform his work, not Elizabeth's work, it was like things just started to unfold. And now it's like, I'm, it's a lot, I don't know. This is like something that's super important to me. And I don't know if it will like uh, make sense. It'll make sense to y'all, I'm sure. But like, it was really easy for me, like at the beginning to like, like thank God and like be full of gratitude. But like one of my main prayers every day, like constantly throughout the day is like, God, please help me to never forget the pain and to never forget like the depths of desperation and just like sadness and just emptiness that came before you. Um, because if I don't remember that, then like, then I'm not going to, this isn't going to work for me. Like it's easy to forget like how terrible that was. And for me to like get back in my own will and like start trying to run the show. And that's when things like ultimately go south. But when God is in control and I'm like, constantly trying to keep close to him and like ask him to be with me in all activities and to direct my thinking and, and to speak through me and that's like I don't know if if anyone's ever um done a fist up with another woman and these things come out of your mouth and you're like where did that come from like that is not an Elizabeth original thought like that is directly from God um and those are like the most treasured moments that I have is like listening to God speak through me to help another woman. It has nothing to do with me. I'm the vessel and he's the voice, you know, and that's like the most powerful part of that relationship is just him allowing me as a human and my finite little self to help somebody else. I know that you did say that the relationship with your, that your mom is a big part of your story. Is there anything that you want to share about about that because she's also in, in the program was that was that difficult so my mom was my introduction to AA and we never got high together like we never drank together um but she was I watched her struggle with that and um, I have two brothers and a sister and a father who are not alcoholic um so that relationship from well I, I hated her like for most of my life I you know, until I started drinking, I thought that she was like the worst thing that ever happened to me when in reality, she's the best mother that I like, she's the only person capable of mothering me, you know, because we're exactly the same. And that's, that's why I disliked her was because everything I disliked in her were things that were in me. And so like, she was my introduction to AA and she she was always in my corner, like trying to help me, trying to help me, trying to help me. I just didn't want to be helped. And then that dynamic, like when I got sober, that dynamic like really shifted. The first year of my sobriety was like super awesome and fun and, and yay. You know, it was like just kind of scratching the surface. Um, and then between years one and two was when she went on her last bender. Um, and that was like a very, very lonely time. Like it was a feeling that like 
I wouldn't wish upon anybody, you know, because it was, I remember, and like, I always get like really emotional, like talking about her sobriety because it's, it's literally my greatest gift. But I remember my sister being like, she said, Elizabeth, and I was in Louisiana at the time, and she called me and she was like, Elizabeth, when mom dies of alcoholism, what's going to happen? Like, what does that look like? And like, in a rational mind, like trying to explain that to my sister, um, it was like, that had become the reality, you know, and this, this woman, she is an alcoholic of the hopeless variety, you know, and I drink the exact same way that she does. And I, and I've experienced all of those things. It was like to watch her get sober. She really like, she did. I don't even know how to like express this. She did everything that the book talks about, like the complete transformation in thinking. Um, and it says like, you know, let no alcoholic say he can recover, he can't recover if he doesn't have his family back. And she did that. She made no phone calls in treatment. Like she literally hit the pavement running. Um, and the results have been like the best. And I know I said this when she got her chip, but it's like the most beautiful and perfect version of my mother that I've ever seen. And it's just a true testament to the program. And she does, I mean, I just look up to her more than anyone else on this earth. Like she is just my shining star. Like, I know that sounds like so silly, but she's just everything that I've ever wanted to be because of the way that she helps other women and the way that she works this program to the best of her ability. That was so beautiful. Vicky, you're there. Is there anything? Yes, I am. I was, I'm sorry. Um, I was trying to quiet a barking <laughs> dog. Um, is, is there anything you want to say about your daughter? All I want to say is to you, Elizabeth, quite frankly, you're the most amazing woman that I know, um, you know, right back at you. And um, I'm just so grateful and proud of you. And I know I, I see just a completely different person in you today than I did back in the day. You're my child and I am so proud of you. I look up to you and um, kind of as a funny thing, I don't know if you remember when we walked out of a meeting one time recently, well, kind of recently, um, but since I've been sober this time and I looked and you shared and I looked at you after the meeting, I go, will you be my sponsor? <laughs> I'm just so proud of you, darling, and I love you so much, and I pray that we can continue to repair and forge on with our mother-daughter, alcoholic-to-alcoholic relationship, and I love you. I love you, too. Oh, that was so good. Uh, and I, I think, like, I don't know, like, the dynamic between mother and daughter can be, like, really interesting, like, in any situation, but... um it's just like being able to share that with her is the coolest thing because like we're trudging the road of happy destiny together. Like, and that's something that's immeasurable and that only God can be a part of. Like, we're not doing this on our own. Like we are literally walking hand in hand with God through, through life together. And that's like, I mean, that's just, I, this is like kind of off topic, but like, I feel 
I feel like the rest of the world is like kind of asleep, you know, and like we're able to like once we experience that spiritual awakening and like our eyes are opened, it's like a completely different life that we get to live. And so to share that with your mother, you know, is like the coolest thing because I just like I can tell her anything and it's like no judgment and it's understanding and it's all 150% love. And I think that's like a really cool part of that relationship is that like we share a bond that is unbreakable because we're the same person like separated into two bodies, you know. Anybody have a question before I ask the wrap-up question? So my wrap-up question is if you could leave us with one takeaway, what would that takeaway be? What would you want us to take away from this call? Oh, that's like just a generalized statement. Yeah, anything, kind of like if you don't hear anything I say, hear this, like what would be the one thing that you'd want us to hear? If you could leave us with something, whether it's for somebody who's trying to get some sober or somebody who's trying to stay sober, what would it be? I just want to say that um, the underestimation of what I imagined life could be like, and that I had all of these ideas of what I wanted out of sobriety and recovery. And that was like, so minute. Like when I look at the way that God has transformed my thinking and transformed the relationships that are in my life today, like I get super emotional, like thinking about what he's done. Um, and when I, when I just let go and like allow him to run the show, like, there's nothing that can take away that peace of mind. There's nothing that can take away the serenity and just like the ability to be okay and accept things no matter what the situation is. And it's just like to go through life the way that I did versus what it's like now. It's just like, I, it's something that has to be experienced. It's not anything I can like tell you about. It's, it's, life has taken on a new meaning, you know, and like to, to really feel that and to be able to like live in that on a daily basis is just the most treasured thing that I have. Um, just to be like happy and joyous and, and free. I mean, it's so cliche, but like happy, joyous, free, happy, joyous, free. That's what I get to live in today versus everything that came along um, when I was living in myself. Like, it's just, something that every woman needs to experience. It was great. Thank you so much for, for being with us. So happy. Thank to you, Stephanie. Yes. All right, everybody. <clears throat> Have a wonderful, wonderful night. And I will see you guys later. Bye. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenhouse.org.